0: State of the Industry Podcast. And here we go. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. For the next two episodes, I will be chatting all about getting buy-in from clients and implementing ground-based movement practices into training with Richard Shrivener. Richard and I met some three-plus years ago at a Phylex conference in Australia and I can truly say that the encounter changed the trajectory of my career. Richard was the first to introduce me to ground-based movement practices of animal flow, in addition to the concept of mechanotransduction. Now, this brought me to start looking at the Katie Bauman and reading her book, Move Your DNA, as well as looking and diving down really the rabbit hole of some other uh, very, very important research articles. It's safe to say that my perspectives on both movement and the body itself changed virtually overnight, and this quickly became evident in my teaching and the way I trained both myself and clients. In addition to being an international presenter, Richard is the lead global master instructor for Animal Flow. He works as the research and development manager for Train Fitness and is a London-based personal trainer and nutrition therapist. He is a health and fitness vet, a wealth of knowledge, and I had a blast catching up and shooting the breeze with my old friend. I know you'll enjoy this conversation, so we'll see you on the other side. Welcome, Richard, to the State of the Industry podcast. How are you today?
1: Hey, man. Um, I'm real good. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I've been looking forward to uh, catching up for, for, for a while now. It's been uh, yeah, a few years, hasn't it? So uh, good to finally, finally chat properly.
0: Yeah, it's been several years. And the uh, first time we actually spoke, first time we met was in Australia at Phylex. And that was, I have to say, out of all of the conferences I've ever been to, yours, yours was the first session I went to in that conference. And it started kind of a, a snowball rolling down a hill of changing of mentality in not only my own training but the training of clients as well because that was my first uh i guess insight or first look into animal flow and my first introduction into you you spoke about mechanical transduction and so it started all my research on mechanical transduction and it uh, definitely changed Like everything about how I train from, you know, warming up to uh, integrating ground-based bodyweight movements, flowing style movements into training, into recovery sessions, and uh, like every single one of my clients since that day can thank you for <laughs> bringing that to my attention and uh, opening my eyes to that. So,
1: Oh, that's cool, man. Uh, that's really kind of you to, to say so. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad we, uh, we got to meet at that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also, the extracurriculars at that conference were also a lot of fun, too. It's my first <laughs> time ever in Australia and um, being able to walk around, uh, you know, Darling Harbour and Sydney and like it was uh, it was a lot yeah, of fun.
1: That was good fun.
0: So, I want to start off because like, I know a little bit about your story because I've listened to some other podcasts that you have done. um, But I just wanted to go through because one, I don't know if a lot of people have maybe seen an image of you um, or if they have, they've looked at your Instagram and been like, this guy is huge, right? Like (laughs) muscular and you know, just so great physique. And like the thing about when you do your flows, right? You do it without a shirt on, whereas other people wear a shirt. And so you can see the definition, right? But where did you start from with regards to your training and how did you get into being now a uh, master trainer for animal flow and um, as as an elite trainer, like a highly sought after uh, trainer, where did you start and how did you get into this industry?
1: Uh, I started as a very skinny young boy back back in high school, uh, hanging out with uh, a bunch of friends. Everybody uh, taking the, uh, the the mick out of each other, uh, plenty of abuse <laughs> in that peer group. And my my name was was Skeletor out out of our, <laughs> our group, and uh, because I was so skinny, it was ridiculous. I mean, naturally, I'm, I'm quite ectomorphic in nature, so I've got quite Long legs, long arms, um, and you know, I find it very difficult to actually put size on, so I have to go out of my way to do that. But you know, back in those days, it was, it was ridiculous clothes would just hang off me, it wasn't even really worth it, yeah. And uh, and so you know, that there was a little bit of motivation there for me as a sort of young, I guess, maybe even like you know, 10, 12, 14 year old. Uh, to get down to my local store, get some of those uh, cheap sand-filled um, dumbbells. And, you know, I still remember to, to this day, I got the little um, fold-up uh, workout out, pinned it on my my cabinet, and that's where it stayed for a whole year. And I did not miss one workout for a year. I did, I, <laughs> religiously, I got back home every night, whether I was out, in, you know, playing football or, you know, after schoolwork or whatever or you know no matter what the time was i would not miss a, a session and uh you know i just followed the routine and it was super simple it was like some squats some press-ups some bicep curls some you know kind of pressy things mm-hmm. and uh and you know i didn't really gain any size because the weights were pretty light but i did get a little bit of you know sort of definition and some shape going on and it only took one person one one person at school to say like oh uh, some some stuff going on with the arms there and that, you know, the, the chest is looking all right. And I've oh, got some abs going on. And that was it. That's all I needed to hear yeah. for my my years investment of training time. I just needed to hear something back. And uh, and that was it. You know, it, it just gave me that little bit of, of, of motivation, you know, and, and that's kind of the way motivation works. Right. One of the aspects of it is just that peer um Kind of re- reflection and feedback that you, that you get that, that validates everything that you've you've done and tells you you're on the right lines and um, and so I then sort of you know just joined a, a, a gym and and tried to do you know what I could I didn't really know what I was doing um, but then you know at school when when people started talking about training and getting in shape and how do you build muscle a lot of my friends would then come and chat to me because they knew I was training in the gym and all of a sudden I became the kind of you know expert in 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 that group of people and I just enjoyed giving the advice that you know I thought I had at the time and yeah. uh, just share my experiences of of what I was doing and of course most days were, were about chest and biceps and uh, you know uh, I was pr- pretty good on on, on giving advice on, on those types of programs and it, it really just snowballed from there and I think once I left school I always had in my head that i wanted to be um like in the in the police or a, or a physical education instructor um and I, I knew for sure i wanted to learn more so i you know took a levels which was the kind of next step in the uk here um went on to do my uh undergraduate sports science um came out of that and while i was in uni i was lucky because i on my course was a, a guy who was a, an um, an academy uh, rugby union player um, at a professional pre- um, Premier League uh, Premiership club. And uh, he mentioned that the strength and conditioning coach was uh, trying to recruit some guys to um, help out for a season at the uh at the club it was great because at the time at Northampton Saints was the the club I got got to work at there Mm. were there were World Cup winners from from the England squad um at that time there there were some uh former All Blacks players some some Springbok guys and it was just full of um you know elite guys not just in their performance but the mindset as well yeah And, and just the way that things were set up right and it was just a an awesome opportunity so I was like dude me up, you know, whatever happens, I've got to get in and uh, get a spot on that internship. And, um, uh, you know, fortunately, I, I got that um, that position. Le- learn a lot. I, le- I learned a lot about professionalism um, and 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 really how to make sure that I tidied up my act in terms of the way that, that I behaved and what was expected. And it was a quick, steep learning curve of, you know, you've, you've got to do everything um at 100 and strive for the for the absolute best no um stone left unturned um in terms of your conduct your behavior and, and everything that you did was about getting those players ready for for, for optimizing their performance but mm-hmm. you had to do you know your best behind the scenes to make that happen and um it was it was just a, a great learning curve i came out of that you know uh with with, with so much more um in my toolbox than than what i could have ever imagined and, and i learned so much more doing that than i ever would have on any kind of you know academic uh uh you know, studies and, and and that's not to say that that wasn't they're not both equally weighted they both offer different things i mean you know you, you need you need that that underlying theoretical information as, as as you know more than anyone that, yeah. that has to underpin everything that you do so you understand why you're practicing and, practic- and using Practical techniques and the way that you're using them, you've got to be able to justify them and and know why you're using those. But you've got to have those both those practical and, and, and academic things that sit together. Um, and so after that, I then and then wanted to learn more, so I went back to uni, did my my masters in uh, uh, high performance physiology, um, and off the back of that, uh, went into education um, as a, a tutor, teaching personal training courses. And, and that's kind of, you know, what I did for the next seven years in in, in the same company. I gradu- gradually moved up a little bit more to research and development. And uh, um, along the way, I was training clients and, and trying to put into practice everything that I'd learned, working with a few athletes as well, continuously training myself, experimenting with stuff that I'd learned, nutrition and, and training. Um, and it was at that point that I came across um, Animal Flow, which is one of the you know, the key roles that I that I have now as an animal flow master instructor, mm-hmm. um, and you know, one of the guys in the office uh, had the had the DVD download, and you know you, you know, you know, in your heart of hearts, you should really go online and buy that and pay the money for that. Uh, but but I did what a lot of people do, and I hold my hands up and I'm like, dude, come on, pass me that DVD, and, you know, give, <laughs> give me some of that action. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I downloaded it, um, and uh, whenever I see Mike now, I, I always try to remind him that you know I, I owe him twenty bucks for that. <laughs> that DVD from however many years ago, Rob, yeah. I stole it off my mate. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I got into, um, you know, practicing uh, these animal flow movements uh, within the format that they were in at that time. And I just loved it because, you know, I realized with all the training I'd done up to that point that my body was craving uh, movement, I, I, I just spent so much time doing a lot of strength work and, and hypertrophy work that that i'd actually without knowing it you know got sort of quite tight and and, and stiff around the shoulders and, and the upper back and the lower back and my hips and actually trying to do demonstrations in the personal training courses i was teaching to these budding young students that actually could all move pretty well i was founding found myself lacking um on a few occasions and that was a bit of a wake-up call to me i'm like hey i'm the tutor here I'm supposed to be giving these guys demonstrations of, of, of these exercises, and I'm struggling a little bit to get into the positions or my posture doesn't quite feel as as, as good as it should when I'm looking back at, uh, you know, images and, and videos and what have you. yeah. And, and at that point, it's like, okay, what am I going to do about this? And, uh, you know, so I, I took up uh, capoeira, actually, for, for a couple of years, because I knew that that would help me improve my mobility but I just like the look of it it looked dynamic it resonated with me um and uh and off the back of that my mindset then had shifted towards what what a movement training discipline can do for you um and and therefore I just think my eyes and ears were open more and, and that's how I actually found animal flow I was receptive to it I was looking around um and you know it, it's like when you're looking for to buy a new car right and you know and, and if you want a black car all of, all of a sudden all you notice on the street are black cars yeah. they've been there all along but now you see them and it's it was the same thing here right? you know I wanted to, um, to to understand what what movement training could could do for me primarily it was much more of a selfish um you know sort of introduction to it and so having taken taken up capoeira um I was saying okay right what else is there what do I need to do what can I learn um, what other systems can I can I investigate and get stuck into? And that's how I kind of came across Animal Flow, stole my mate's DVD, practiced in the studio for you know for for a few months, and just eventually got to the point where um, I I thought well I, I need to learn this stuff properly. I think like a lot of people do. You know we try and follow it on YouTube or Instagram yeah. or whatever, and you can get so far uh, and and do a relatively good job, but you can never really get into the nitty gritty details unless someone properly teaches you who knows what they're doing so you know I got in contact with Mike Fitch and and Karen in the US and Mike is the creator of Animal Flow and Karen's his business partner and uh, so we you know got them over to the UK ran the first workshop and um, I just sort of speculatively said to the guys at the end I mean we got on well and I said you know if you ever need someone in this part of the world to teach um, you know I'll throw my my name in the hat and I'd, I'd love to to help if you need someone and it, my, it was funny Mike just kind of went yeah yeah all right done let's do it so <laughs> it was kind of a, a decision made on the spot and um, yeah. I, was, I mean I'm so happy that, that that he said yes and that he invited me into the team and you know that was my my entry into becoming an Animal Flow Master Instructor and then really that's where my path to to, to using movement training um uh, in, a, in a much more serious way in a much more methodical and considered way became you know part of what i did not not just for myself but in in education and with with clients as well so that that's when it really kicked off
0: yeah and um i, I remember watching a an idle ido portal video once uh it was actually on london Reel and he was walking through and he was talking and one thing hit me and was kind of like a club hitting you but a light bulb goes off at the same time so it's like your light bulb's out and you're just tapping it and then all of a sudden the light goes on Mm -hmm. and uh, he's like he basically said you have probably the fittest population in, in like the Western world, you've got, you know, the U S Canada, they've got all these gyms, everybody goes to the gym and they all work out, but they're the worst movers in the world. (laughs) And I think that's the same, like from what you said, the same awareness that you had as well, that you could lift, you had seen results with hypertrophy and those types of things, but there was still something missing within your training regime that, left you wanting something more, something a bit different. And this is often a conversation that I actually have with clients. So I want to talk to you about your clients as well, is because we often have clients who come in who want um, any number of goals, and I'm not going to pick on anyone necessarily, but they're short-sighted goals. Mm. They're, not, they're not looking long-term. They're not looking at Outcomes further than six months a year. And you started out kind of maybe looking short term, right? Like when you first started training, when you first started doing that exercise card up on your wall every single day. And then you started to see, so your motivation kind of started a little bit differently, but then it kind of transformed into what you now do. And you see movement very differently now than you did back then. Mm. So When you talk to clients, and this is for obviously other trainers who are listening, but when you speak to your own clients who come in, how do you talk to them about the purpose behind training and not, I guess, throwing away what what they want to get out of it? Because obviously that's very important but slowly but surely kind of shifting the mindset or at least looking a little bit more long-term and into the importance of the movement training, the the style that animal flow offers and getting them to buy into those types of things.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there that first and foremost, you know, you've got to be fully validating what their goal is and what they want to achieve because it doesn't matter how much you believe in in movement training and and what that has to offer and what you think they need you start throwing that stuff at them and that's and that and that isn't what they've asked you for then then you're done you know they're they're walking out the door you get a couple of sessions with them and they move on to someone that will give them uh what they want so when when you first speak to that client if if they're on that continuum of I'm right down this end of all I want is I want a better physique. I want to lose fat I want to gain muscle. Don't talk to me about anything else. Then first and foremost, I think you've just got to go like under the radar. You've got to, got to go in with the, the stealth approach and just start really uh, gently with adding a few movements into things like warm ups and cool downs and possibly um, thinking about like using supersets or like little mini circuits within the session where you might drop a couple of movements in that are are a bit more say movement focused that mm-hmm. complements the existing you know if it's a, if it's a leg session a back session a chest session you know you've got to be picking strategic movements that support that so that it feels to them like everything that you do in that session is about that that key goal and mm-hmm. i think back in the day when i first started as a trainer i would have undoubtedly just Given that client, what I thought was was best for them, and, yeah. and probably being completely the opposite of where I, I I would like to think I would I would now be, um, and I think as a trainer there is nothing wrong at all with making sure that what you do in those first few training blocks or phases or, or cycles, whatever you want to call that, with your client, even if you know they need some other stuff like movement and mobility work. I don't think we should be afraid about not putting that in early doors. If we first just need to get the buy-in right, because once you get the buy-in and you get the the habits and they're into their training and then they you know they really they really want to make that part of what they do week to week, I think there's then an, an easier ride for us to start then introducing conversations about, okay, what about, you know, considering this type of training, or maybe we put one session in a week that focuses on some of these other qualities, I think could be great Mm -hmm. for you, that then supports, you know, the goals of building muscle, gaining strength, whatever that looks like. So I think that's one type of client that you then have to just make that judgment call and be very accurate in the way that you understand what they want and what's going to be acceptable for them, and I, and I have fallen foul of that before, where I've just not done that, and and I've lost, you know, a, a couple of clients over the years where I've just not read them correctly and list and properly listened to what what they wanted. So, you know, it, it, it will happen where clients will walk, uh, and and they vote on their feet for sure. So, I think that's kind of one angle. But then, I think fortunately that the industry has shifted so much in the last ten years that, you know, of course, back in the day, I think, you know, or perhaps more from a perspective of of our lifetime, you know, people wanted, either wanted to be fitter from a cardio perspective, they wanted to be perhaps um, stronger, and more powerful from a sports perspective, or they wanted more muscle, and they wanted Mm -hmm. to look better. There was kind of like, I think, three buckets that generally, you know, you, you might group people into. And for most of like the maybe the 90s and noughties, that was kind of pretty much it, you went to the gym to work on one of those kind of three goals. And then you know, as we sort of get into the last 10 or 15 years, especially, and you've got um, excellent coaches stepping out of disciplines such as, you know, gymnastics and acrobatics and, and maybe dance uh, and softening up their approaches to be a bit more mainstream and offering Programs and workouts that that people could actually do, rather than you know, needing to be a, a martial artist or a gymnast. A gymnast. Mm-hmm. Then, then people are like, oh wow, okay, maybe I could do that if it's broken down in this way and taught in this way. I could, I could learn a handstand. I could learn a muscle up. I could learn to do you know, a bodyweight push up or a pull up or you know an overhead squat or a yeah you know, whatever. Um, and because of people becoming more receptive to, to to those ideas, thanks to coaches sort of stepping out. Of their areas of expertise and trying to to speak more to the mainstream. I think the whole industry has shifted so that actually the the clients these days, when they come to you, they're already slightly more open minded to that now. And and actually, a good percentage of clients I've personally found will directly ask you for, for sessions and approaches on how can I move better? How can I get my body to feel better? How can I gain. Uh, flexibility, mobility, whatever terms they're using. And actually, it's really nice now when a client directly contacts you and says, this is my goal to move better. And it's like, yes, <laughs> I don't even have to you know, fight with you on this. I don't have to persuade you, you've already bought into it. And I think that's re- representative of the general shift of the industry that's done that hard work for us as trainers. And mm-hmm. so um, now we can say, great, you know, the tools I have to help you are X, Y, and Z. If that works, let's move forward, and, and I'll do my best to help you. So, yeah, it, it's kind of you know figuring out who the client is, where their mind mindset is at, what they're open to, and then just trying to interpret that correctly, and then and then go forward from there.
0: Yeah, and I think, as you said, I think the the industry has has really moved in that direction, and so you are training clients now who are more intelligent about what they should be able to do. Because even if you're on Instagram, and even if you're on Facebook, or whatever it is, if you're watching all these people that you follow, or your friends that you have, you're watching their feeds, and then things that they've liked may come into your feed, you're eventually going to see something from a gym. And more and more is people showing you new things. Now, I don't want to say that all those new things are fantastic cuz there are some silly stuff but there is a lot more of this movement based training that people are getting into mm-hmm. and you know it's not just the muscle beach bodybuilding arnold schwarzenegger kind of 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 lifting now that we're doing right like we're seeing a lot more of that and I think this leads into the next kind of topic that I wanted to get into, which is training intelligently. So making sure, like being able to um, understand the purpose behind what you're doing and being able to self-monitor your own movements, movement quality, not just in the gym, like during the session, whether you're virtual or in person, but also When you're, so for instance, when I'm going to be moving in three days, right? Lifting heavy, heavy boxes, some of them in light boxes. Sometimes I don't know what's in them and it's going to be a guessing (laughs) game whenever I pick them up. Some of them are very awkward. So being able to self monitor even my own body while I'm doing all this, know when kind of I'm starting to feel something Mm -hmm. that should probably pull back or um, feeling a, a poor position. So, can you just talk a little bit about? Um, intelligent, like training intelligently and self-monitoring for your own kind of benefit
1: yeah and, and I think when when it comes to things like self-monitoring and, and, and a term that's often used I think these days is auto regulation um, you you can give yourself a get out in that you might have a session planned and you you might wake up and you might be like oh, you know, uh, do I feel a bit tired today? A little bit sore, a little bit stiff. Sometimes you can use that as an excuse not to go and do the session that that you've planned to do. And I think there's a fine line between listening carefully to your body and figuring out what it really needs versus making progress in the results that, that, that you want to get and following a plan and just trying to walk that fine line. So definitely for me, one of the things that I always like to do to help understand where I'm at on any given day is I like to go in, into the gym in the morning before work either before clients or before one of the um, development roles that I have um, and I will just go and do 30 minute like mobility session and I've got like a, a routine that I always do it's pretty much the same that hopefully gives me the biggest bang for my buck in 30 minutes and I get on the ground, and I'll just start in at the hips and the lower back, and just kind of work my way out, you know, to the peripheries. And it's just a bunch of um, mobility drills that I think just give me a sort of a, a nice kind of quick fix and get everything, you know, going and mobilized and moving for the day. And, and based on how I feel during that session, I, I, and I, I think I'm generally getting this to be, you know, sort of quite accurate in terms of the messages I. I take from that session it it gives me a really good idea as to how i'm going to perform if i've got a you know a a a a later session that's more of a results-based session whether that's Mm -hmm. again with movement or whether that's something that's more of a a resistance-based strength session whatever that is um I, i judge off that morning routine what i think i'm going to be like later in the day and for the most part it tends to be fairly accurate although not always and sometimes you just have to test the water a little bit go in start with your first couple of sets and if you're just not lifting as well you're not connecting with the movements maybe the snap or the the speed or the drive is not there then that might be the time to say okay let's just back off and and maybe cut the intensity or the volume by 20 or 30 percent or or even in some circumstances just put that session to to another day so that I'm not compromising on what I want to get from that session I've just shifted it to where know i expect to feel uh better so i don't think there's ever really a right or wrong way to assess what you will feel like on any given day and what you expect to get out of a session but i think you know you 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 could just generally wake up in the morning and and walk around your lounge and just think you know man i feel really like knotted up and tight and stiff and you know i'm gonna have, have to invest some time this morning to to kind of work all that stuff out before i can even think about hitting the session that I want to hit today or you know if you wake up and you just feel good and energized and you and you're ready to go then you know you you've got get a coffee down you get in that gym and go do your thing so I I think it's yeah it's something that's difficult to do unless you've been training for for a little bit of time I think it's quite hard to tap into those sensations and that that sort of internal feedback about when it is time to back off and when it's time to push forward and um, I think when you can, you've got to try and stick to the plan because obviously that's you know that is how you move forward and get results by having a plan and progressively you know overloading whether it even if it's movement training, you can still overload that session by having better quality practice, more reps of that practice, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. and perhaps moving up a progression in terms of movement complexity. so there is there is overload in those types of training and then there's obviously overload in. In, in you know your strength and hypertrophy work as well, but um, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I think the longer you've been around, the, the the easier it is to then start to tune into your body because you you typically know what that response feels like uh, from a day to day basis.
0: Yeah, and and um, I want to get into the the workout and just kind of walking through a few of the things that you do in a, in a second. So I'm going to get to that. But something else that you said as well, you you mentioned. That some people, when they don't feel quite right, they're like, "Okay, I'm not even gonna, not even gonna bother today. I'm just gonna kind of throw it aside." And I, there is a time and a place for taking a day off, neurologically, uh, psychologically, physically, but not just every single time you feel like a little, you know, little niggle or something like that in, in one of the areas of your body. Just going, "Okay, that's a get at a jail free card," and I'm not gonna do anything. There are ways to adapt, as you said, adapt training, modify the training that you're doing, or just change the program completely. And instead of doing a lift, you do a mobility session for 30 minutes in the afternoon. So if even if you had something big planned, you had a you know an hour-long hypertrophy or strength power workout scheduled, if you're not quite feeling it, that's okay. But that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. There's still benefit to you being in the gym. Um, even if you're not working towards what the goal was for that specific session itself, so um, yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, and so, sometimes you might even find that if you if you if
1: you go into the gym and you just extend your warm up a little bit and just give yourself time to to just dust yourself down, actually, you you might find that 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 once you get into things you are you are actually good to go after all so i think you know you, you just take it step by step and just try and make those constant assessments and until you get to the point of okay this definitely isn't going to work today
0: yeah and for me i haven't uh, i don't necessarily work in a gym so for me it was my warm up was how i self monitored so i'd go in with a plan but i'd be like let's see how this warm up was and i do as as you do um, a very consistent kind of warm up Prep, and then I get into my specifics for whatever lifts I'm going to be doing. But so that warm up for me is always how I self monitor how am I feeling today, where am I feeling it and I might adjust a lift, um, the load or the actual movement entirely, and shift to a different type of movement. And, um, now that I'm going to be building this new studio, I'm going to have the ability to go down in the morning, do some movement, as you said that, you know, it might be 20 minutes, 30 minutes of just a mobility circuit in the morning gets the blood flowing, gets the brain going, in addition to having that mobility benefit and feeling the body. And then usually my lifts are between two and four in the Mm. middle of the day somewhere. And then I finish off the day doing some more work, because it wakens me back up. uh, And I find I have the best result. I don't do well if I work out early in the morning, specifically with bigger loads, and I don't do well really late at night because then it keeps me up all night. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be able to actually start doing that with this studio. Nice man. That sounds good. <laughs> so can you just walk walk through uh and you don't have to go into detail about the specific exercise that you do, but the the almost the process that you walk through in that, you know, 25, 30 minute mobility workout that you that you do pretty much every day. What is involved in that and how do you kind of proceed? I know you mentioned going kind of from hips, spine, core, and then working your way out to the extremities. Um, Mm. But does it involve things like, do you have breathing? Do you have rolling patterns? Do you have, uh, is it a lot of flowing stuff? Like how how do you organize it um, to, I guess, maximize your time?
1: Yeah, well, well, I think that my tendency is to be someone that's, quite tight and 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 I feel that if I don't do much movement uh and I leave it too long I, th- I really feel like my my tissues you know contracted on themselves and, uh, and I find that I lose access to movement quite quickly and um that's actually something that's always in, in, intrigued me just that general variability from from person to person you know somebody can jump straight out of bed and, and, and then they can you know sit in a deep squat immediately bend down touch their toes you know and and, and do a variety of, of things with like it's a piece of cake whereas for, for me i would actually need to kind of warm up to that a little bit it, it's not the kind of thing i can i can jump straight into um and so when i do these uh, morning routines and especially you know even if it's not straight away in the morning but the first thing i do do that's um physically active and and, and sort of almost is in pre- preparation for perhaps a harder workout is i start on the ground and I'll do um, a lot of rotation work into my hips and lower back. So especially trying to get into my hip capsules, which I think are probably one of my areas where I'm a little bit glued and, and, and tight. Um, and of course, that has some, you know, some tie into to the lower back, which, again, is an area for me that um, tends to kind of lock in and, and get a little bit tight as well. So I'll do a lot of work through the hips, lower back. Um, and then I'll. I'll try and use a system where I use some kind of passive mobilizers. I'm just kind of rocking in and out of positions. Um, so, for example, I might just, you know, uh, put one foot across uh, my knee and just put my hip into external rotation, just push the knee away and just gently rock forward and back, you know, that kind of classical uh, hip rotation position. Mm-hmm. But then what I'll do is I'll follow that up with an active version. So, I'll just rest the hands on the floor. I'll put my foot up over the knee and I'll just actively, you know, Push my knee away, pull it back in and, and start just to put a bit of connection into that area. And then I'll try and find more of a um, a, a movement that builds on that, that then helps me gain permanent access to that, that range. So I'll, you know, perhaps put the foot on the ground and just do sort of a, a lift, hip flexing my, my hip, pulling my knee in, and then externally rotating, no help from the hands, try and get the foot over the knee and then lift it off internally rotate put it back down on the ground and try and layer it up in that way for each part of the body so always starting with something that's passive and just trying to tease the tissues into just kind of you know loosening off and just you know letting the layers of the fascia kind of glide and slide a bit easier what have you um then actively moving through perhaps what people might consider to be more of like a dynamic stretch so applying a few of those um types of movements and then finishing with something that's a bit more strength oriented and, and trying to gain the strength in those new ranges that i've been been working through and I'll, I'll just do a small number of reps for sort of each joint in the body typically starting you know hips and lower back and then radiating out um, and i can normally that fit that sort of full body routine into like 30 40 minutes. Um, and once I've done that, I feel feel, feel pretty good and I'm, I'm ready to go. And, and if I do need to then do something more um strength, power based, or even movement based later, um, such as an animal flow session, then then I know that that next warm up can literally be like five or ten minutes because I'm yeah. sort of already feeling pretty good from then. I can just do a few prep moves and drills and then I can get straight in and be productive.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And uh, so. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Hips, lower back for me, same kind of thing. Uh, I've had some SI joint issues. So like my, my back itself has been, it. like I go to osteo at least once a month to just make sure things are back in line. Because if I do a heavy lift and I, for some, like I compensate in one way or another, my hip, like my SI joint can twist and it stays out of whack. And it just mm. radiates pain into the, like laterally on the top of the back, and then it can even go down into the leg a little bit. And um, so my piriformis seizes up as soon as that SI joint moves to try to stabilize. So I I run into a whole bunch of issues in that as well. But the one thing that I have found that if I do, uh, like I've got this little flow, this little animal flow that I do in the mornings and specifically when I'm at, at rest, so when I'm on a break, so I'm up at the cottage or something like that, I will wake up in the morning, I'll grab a bottle of water and then I'll go and just do this little flow on the dock. And I in like the rest of the day, I feel fantastic. If I nice. don't mm-hmm. do that, I don't feel near as good. And I can even I can do it even if my back is sore because it doesn't bother it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not lifting heavy, heavy load that I shouldn't necessarily be able to control. So it's it's kind of um, low intensity and just the, fluid, the fluidity of the movements that I'm doing. Don't compromise the back. Don't kind of put it into an awkward position. And, uh, and yeah, so it's just, it's fantastic how I've been able to integrate that into my own training. So now when I work with people who have back pain, I do something similar. Now, I might have to modify something here or something there depending on their situation, but just getting that gradual movement um, is, is amazing with how it can make you feel because even when you go into... Um, like crab reach, right? Like you get the glutes extending up and then you reach over and just the stretch that you get with the glutes active, glutes help to p- stabilize and position the pelvis. And then so the lower mm. back's kind of taken off and then you get the reach, you get a bit of a stretch and then you come back down out of it. Like it's it's phenomenal how some of that um, has has helped.
1: Yeah, we, we often sometimes get students that will come on an Animal Flow workshop. And if, if we've got a, a guy or a girl that's maybe had... Uh, a knee or a current back problem. You know, they'll often be sure to tell us at, at the start of the workshop, and not, and 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 a lot of the time, I'll hear the same uh, sort of introduction. They're like, hi, you know, hi, my name is. So so, I, I need to let you know. You know, I've, I've previously had a, a back issue or or a disc issue. Um, I'm just not sure if I'm going to be able to get all the way through this. If I need to take a rest, you know, please don't think I'm being lazy. Blah blah blah. And more often than not, almost nine times out of ten. Once we've gone through day one of the workshop, where we've introduced um, a lot of the kind of foundation movements, I'm I'm always super eager to see what they say when they turn up in, in the morning of day two. And nine times out of 10, they rock up, smile on their face and like, man, you know, that knee thing or the back thing, like not only is it not there, but I actually feel great. And mm-hmm. and and it and, and it doesn't surprise me because I understand, you know, what the animal flow movements do for people and the, the way we're just mobilizing the fascial net, the way that every single joint is just getting taken through a real gentle range and 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 being experiencing those movements in a pretty safe environment and and in an environment that's comfortable for that person. We're never asking people to move. Through a range or into a position that they feel uncomfortable with, because we're mm. able to give the right regressions and progressions. But it, it 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 ceases to amaze me how many people's bodies will respond so positively to some of these ground-based movements. And even if they've had quite serious issues before, it, it just feels like there's always a positive effect upon the the whole musculo you know skeletal fascial system that is 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 never really yielding a negative response it's more often than not a, a pretty positive experience for people
0: yeah and it, it just brings to light that idea that you know motion is lotion for all the joints right like that's how you you get nutrients in you squeeze out kind of that uh, the waste products the stale fluids that are in there and then also, that like movement is actually medicine. Like, so oftentimes, a lot of these uh, pains now, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of the pains that people have these, these chronic tightness, this chronic stiffness, soreness that they have, this discomfort is because those tissues are stale. They're not moving, they're not getting the the neural inputs, they're not getting the, the in, with regards to the, the myofascial system, they're not getting the movement between the tissues. Uh, it's not getting the blood flow, the lymphatic flow, and, and moving can really help all of those systems and that area that has that pain, that discomfort, and can really help to remove some of that Like that's the biggest thing that I've noticed when I don't feel good. I'm like, I have not moved today. Oh my gosh. And I feel terrible. And I'm like, my I had it's just one of those days I didn't move much, whether I had a whole bunch of meetings or tomorrow's my big teaching day. So I teach for nine hours tomorrow between 8 30 AM and 6 30 PM. So I have an hour and 10 minutes off in that span. And so that's tough for me. Now I stand up, but I'm not moving around. I'm not in a classroom. Like I typically am or in a lab. So I'm standing on, I got tile floor here. And so I have to actually wear cushioned shoes or else the bottom of my feet gets so angry at me. But I finish <laughs> and I'm like, I have to move. Like I have to do something because two of them are three hour lectures. Mm-hmm. Um, so tough. yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. But yeah, movement is has been that one thing that I come back to time and time again. And when I work with clients, I tell them, you may feel like you don't want to move right now because of the discomfort, because of the soreness that you have in these areas. But let's just try getting a little bit nice and easy, as you said, gradual progression of, of, of movement inputs into the system to see how it responds. If it doesn't respond well, then we know we got to back off and try something else. Um, there may be some un- other underlying pathologies that we have to deal with. But if it does work, mm. isn't that something like, that's something that can help you. And it's something you can do on your own. You don't need me for, right. To show you how to like, once I show you how to move and you know how, like sky's the limit for what you can do even on your own.
1: Yeah. They just need that one positive experience. And once they have felt that and they feel how good that is for their body, then that's it. They're in they're They're, they're never going to not want to do that again.
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to finish up with um one quick thing before we end this part 1 and that's just uh we've talked a lot about ground based movement we've talked a lot about um animal flow specifically but can you just give the listeners a general overview of why ground based closed chain movement is so valuable for the body from um You can go into the musculoskeletal system, fascial system, even the neural system, and kind of the response of everything from the joints and the capsule to the actual tissues on top of that.
1: Yeah, sure. I think probably the most easy way to, to think of it is that when you're on the ground and you have your limbs connected to the floor, you are moving your body segments around those fixed points, rather than you know how people might traditionally train, where they're moving the peripheries, their limbs around their body. So what you're effectively doing is you're reversing a lot of the joint actions, and therefore you're also reversing a lot of the, the muscle actions. And so what you'll find is that you'll get quite a unique stimulus that comes into the body, because a lot of the Training stimuli or the stresses that the body's under are often the opposite of what they're experiencing when you're using open chain exercises. So just from a sort of fairly broad perspective, that's one good reason why um, ground-based and, and, and closed chain uh, movements can, can be quite powerful because they're, they're novel stimuli to the to the body in, in reversing all of those joint actions and and, and the muscle actions. Um, and just today actually working with a, a, a client who's a, a high- level uh, male ballet dancer we, we got into some conversation on on this and and he, he's been doing some animal flow with me as part of his rehab to um, help with his uh, achilles that he ruptured and uh, we, we were talking today about what what those benefits are and, and and to him we were looking at the the idea that when you have your hands and feet fixed on the ground, the space between those two points in animal flow represents what we call the the movement window Mm -hmm. and to us that's a pretty important um principle of the program because it's the space through which you have to either move your body or perform uh, a movement so typically when we set up in animal flow in in our beast position and and you all know this adam is we've got Mm -hmm. you know hands underneath the shoulders and we actually bring the knees underneath the the belly button so we kind of shorten that position from, you know, perhaps a regular box or or quadruped position. But what that means for us is that we can actually then press into the ground, create a little bit of ground reaction force, start to load some of those tissues. And that energy that sort of effectively stores and lengthens those tissues helps lift us up off the ground and give the body shape and form and structure. And then using that energy, we're then able to, once we've got that shape and form and structure, is, is use that as a foundation to then move. And so once you get into animal flow and you start to play with the different positions, you experience different movement windows, and that's the space that you have to move between. So you test what what is the ability of the body to give you movement through each segment of the body to actually accomplish a task with a set movement window and you can either widen that window typically to make something easier close it down to make it a little bit more difficult so it means you've got to squeeze the same movement into a smaller space which needs more mobility which needs more strength or the regression is to perhaps widen that movement window but not too wide otherwise you start to destabilize it and make Mm -hmm. it even more difficult so tied into the stuff we're doing on the ground is this sort of body awareness that you need to have of if i'm moving over the ground through these different positions am I? Hitting and setting up the movement window in the right way to perform my next movement. So it's almost then anticipating what is the next movement, what position do I need to be in a, at any given time to successfully perform this this sequence that that I've got coming up. That's the following uh, movement. So there's a lot of kind mm-hmm. of you know, proprioceptive coordination challenge tied into that, and trying to test the body's um, mobility and strength with, within these different spaces. And I think then, excuse me, one other major um, advantage of being on the ground in in, in a closed chain position is something I actually learned at a a conference a few years ago. And whilst when this person said it to me, it was completely obvious. I hadn't really let that information sink in that when you think about training through different planes of movement, you, you can be upright and you can you can challenge yourself in the sagittal plane. Uh, through flexion extension movements, the frontal plane, through your sort of abduction, adduction, and your your lateral flexion stuff. And you can challenge yourself uh, in the transverse plane, but only when you use some kind of external implement. It's not really possible to actually get a transverse plane challenge standing upright Mm -hmm. unless you're using something like a band or, or a cable. But when you put yourself on the ground and you align yourself Horizontally, where you're in an animal flow, for example, a beast position or a crab position, the moment you lift one limb off the ground, you immediately put a transverse plane challenge into the body. And so, animal flow, even though the movements might appear to be to be taking us through a sagittal direction, forward and backward, for example, the moment you lift a limb off the ground, there is also by default, a, a transverse plane challenge that you're experiencing. So th- that alone gives the body a unique training stress that you can't get standing up unless you're using some kind of external implement, which, of course, you know, is easy to do if you know what you're trying to get out of it and you're, you're planning in the right way with, with your exercises. But Animal Flow offers us the opportunity to Uh, put those those rotational stresses into the joints into the tissues that perhaps you might not get so thoroughly from your your upright kind of bipedal stuff so you know and, and, and and that ties in nicely with what is a key message of animal flow and that is everything that we do on the ground is about transferring qualities into the upright bipedal you know human animal which is you know one of our kind of mantras of animal flow we're not we're not about everything you, you do should be on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's about what can we do on the ground that makes you a better human and makes you a better functioning human. And so you know, having those um, those different training stresses from the closed chain stuff, playing with those movement windows, and, and then having those sort of transverse plane rotational stretches are, are all great things that, that, that we can bring to the, the upright you know, human and, and then carry those forward into all the other stuff that we need to be able to, to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love, you You mentioned the proprioceptive input and every single time you put a joint on the ground. So generally, as you were saying, in upright standing, the feet are what are on the ground. So that stress is going through the foot, the ankle, the knee, the hip, and then the spine. And the more load that you have on that joint, the better it's able to stabilize. So if you don't ever have your hands on the ground It's, as you said, a very novel stimulus when you put your hands on the ground and instantly you then have a stress going through the hand, the wrist, the elbow, and then the shoulder and the scapula in this case, creating then stability before you perform movement around it. So when we're looking at something, and we'll get to this a little bit more in part number two, but into even like rehabilitating like a shoulder injury, somebody with shoulder pain or shoulder discomfort, having that closed chain, creating that stability, and then being able to kind of move around that is a great step in the progression. Not necessarily maybe the first one that you'd use, but it's a great step to start adding stability to it by providing that external stimulus to the upper body that you wouldn't get from doing something like external rotations or lateral front raises or something like that Um, so it's a great kind of intermediary to those who maybe don't know how to go from okay an open chain exercise a y or something like that to then okay how do i get stability now now that i've created some mobility got some muscle action how do i integrate Mm -hmm. all of that again and i think as you said ground-based movement is excellent for that and um yeah i love what you said about the transverse plane standing, needing an implement, and then going down to the ground. Um, That's a conversation I actually had with uh, Perry Nicholson, uh, multiple times, who was actually at that. He was actually the first, I guess, technically the first podcast I ever did. I did like a 30 minute recording with him and it was all about the glutes, but uh, (laughs) he's uh, he's who I learned a lot about the importance of the transverse plane. When I did a course of his, his primal movement chains and, he does a lot of stuff on the ground. He's a really big. Like, so he got a lot of his background into DNS and did a lot of rolling patterns, a lot of cross body mm. um, patterning stuff and emergent patterns or something else. And um yeah, it's, it's phenomenal what you can do on the ground, as you said, to benefit you when you're actually in standing again. So yeah, hundred percent. All right, so I think this is a great place to uh, pause part one and we will pick it back up in part number two. Cool, awesome, Adam, great chat. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.